Sergio Perez absorbs the pressure from Charles Leclerc to win his second race of the season on a scrappy weekend from champion-elect Max Verstappen. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 17, the Singapore Grand Prix, powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. Max Verstappen had his first chance to seal the title at the first Singapore Grand Prix since 2019, but the Dutchman put in his worst performance of the season to struggle home an uninspiring seventh. Instead, his teammate Sergio Perez picked up the baton, and with a great start to beat Pullman Charles Leclerc, the Mexican won his second race of the year and fourth of his career. It was a mentally testing race for Perez, who had to break Leclerc's siege and then build a gap to offset a five-second penalty for breaking safety car rules, made all the more difficult by the still damp track after heavy pre-race rain delayed the start of the Grand Prix. Contrary to some expectations, that rain neutralised the race. The track took so long to dry in the humid nighttime conditions that much of the jeopardy of the switch from intermediates to slicks was absent from what became a very strategically straightforward race. To help dissect the elements of what went into Perez's victory in Verstappen's off-colour race, I'm joined by freelance F1 journalist Abhishek Taklin. Abhishek, how are you going? I'm very well, Michael. It's been a long weekend, a tiring weekend. It always is in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Not the greatest of races, but you know... <laughs> Getting well, on. Sell it so early in the podcast could still be good. No, it wasn't the race we were expecting. I suppose was it? This was billed as a the first possible championship decider of the season. We certainly didn't get that. More curious, I think, and we'll talk about this, of course, over the course of the podcast. Is that coming off such a dominant run of races, five wins in a row, we actually saw almost certainly Max's worst race of the season, at least worst race of the season so far. Yeah, definitely. I mean, going into the weekend, all talk was of, oh, he's, he could wrap up his second world mm. title with five races to spare. And of course, uh, it was always going to be uh, a tough ask because he needed other results to go his way. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever thought that he wouldn't win. It was just taken for granted that he'd win and then it would depend on the other results. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, depend whether he clinched the title or not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he was nowhere close to the win. He was nowhere close to the podium, in fact. Yeah, and we'll talk about some of the reasons behind that in just a second. I do want to start talking about this track overall first. First time we've been here since 2019, since the pandemic. Uh, a welcome return, I think. One of the more extreme tracks on the calendar, if not for the layout itself, although it's quite long. The conditions, absolutely. Looking at it on paper, particularly, let's say, conventional wisdom from the first half of the season would have said this was going to be a Ferrari circuit. And it performed pretty well. Charles Leclerc scored his ninth pole of the season. But of course, Red Bull Racing ended up winning. It, there's definitely been a power shift in the last few months, right? Like Red Bull's got this championship by the scruff of the neck. Is it fair to say now that there aren't really any Ferrari tracks left? Not just because of the circuits left, but that Red Bull's turning up and just being the quickest always. Were there ever any Ferrari tracks this season? Well, I think there was. Well, there, there were certainly some earlier in the year. No, I know what you mean, yeah. but I mean, you know, Ferrari have—they've only won four races this year. So incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and Max alone has won eleven. So, mm. um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, qualifying has always been across the season. It's, that's been the pattern of the season, yeah. really, where you know Ferrari have that edge in qualifying, but Red Bull just sort of fly past them in the races. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there are any tracks anymore. Red Bull is clearly uh, the car to beat now. Verstappen is clearly the well, he's almost won the championship, so he can't mm-hmm. even be beaten very yeah. soon. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, I think I think that has definitely been a power shift. I mean, and the most noticeable um, 
the most noticeable swing um, came in Spa after the summer break, where, mm-hmm. of course, they, Red Bull was miles ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And there might be shadows of that uh, at Suzuka coming up, for example, high-speed circuit, possibly similar characteristics, maybe not necessarily straight up to Spa, but some other tracks we know that Red Bull's done very well at over the course of the year. We'll touch on Max Verstappen's race a little bit later on because there were some things to unpack from that and and why perhaps it was so uncharacteristically bad for him. But let's go to qualifying first of all because certainly if you're Max Verstappen, it's your opinion that really your race was undone not by yourself but really by the team's mistake in qualifying. He should have got pole or he had the pace to get pole, let's say, despite the fact that practice leading up to qualifying was extremely disrupted, right? We had... Him setting very few laps on Friday, then Saturday morning, practice was washed out. Qualifying was still kind of damp. But he still had that pace, didn't he? And I guess that speaks to him being on such good form. Yeah, he was... I mean, Max is just driving on another level this year. And I think we mm. often see that with drivers once they've won uh, their first world title. Yeah. Uh, they just unlock this whole new level of performance because they're, they're, they're more... I don't know, they're probably more confident in their abilities. They probably mm. feel they don't have to prove as much as you know when they haven't won a title yet uh so yeah max has just been driving phenomenally well but uh, as you say qualifying was a setback um but i think it also affected his headspace a little bit and we, we and that that also i think contributed to him uh, mm-hmm. having the race that he had the the error by the team was essentially to underfuel him they needed to cross the the, the checkered flag or the finishing line in qualifying with enough fuel or even in any session in fact to supply a fuel sample to the FIA of a certain amount and the team would realise just before he finished what would have been a pole lap that he wouldn't have that amount of fuel left if he crossed the line. So they called him in. He was pretty critical of the team for this. You know, really, I mean, his radio was very exciting to listen to, but then subsequently even in the media was really saying it's not acceptable. I, I thought it was interesting. It was something like mistakes happen, but this is really bad. So sort of suggested, well, mistakes shouldn't happen. Were you surprised considering his advantage this season and the fact that he's otherwise seems so at one with his team that he really threw them under the bus after qualifying, considering that that, that was quite an unusual Q3 session, wasn't it? Wasn't it separated into runs in the way we're used to seeing? It was one long, improving session. Yeah, that's true. Imagine if he was driving for Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> I'd um, be listening to that team radio. It'd be very exciting. <laughs> I mean, see, team radio, you can still put it down to heat yeah, of the sure. moment kind of stuff. But, I mean, the fact that he didn't backpedal on those comments in interviews later was quite... Uh, I was surprised by that because, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it, it was a mistake. But just look at the season they've had. I mean, we're talking yeah. about... We went into the weekend talking about him wrapping the title up uh, five races with five races to go. He was on a five-race winning streak. He's won 11 races this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, until Singapore, he had finished off the podium just once. So, um, you know, I-, I thought it was a bit harsh. But then I guess Max, you know, he just has that relentless mindset. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know, it's, it's maybe, uh, maybe a thing where when you're on a winning streak, mm-hmm. uh, anything that then knocks you off feels more frustrating, even though on balance, you know, you've had a great season. It just means that you're just constantly... Uh, aiming for perfection, I mean, you don't get that. It just, it just feels like a, 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 a bad result. Even though on balance, it's, it's just one bad result over the course of a season. It's worth saying here, the team, the mistake was in, a, in a sense understandable. I mean, you can argue it both ways, can't you? No other team made that mistake. Only one did. But Max was out earlier in that qualifying mm-hmm. session, which was essentially one long run on a set of tires to, to try and get that temperature into the rubber. And the team fundamentally miscalculated how quick the lap times would become at the end. There was enough time for one more lap than anticipated. 
Should have also set that time one lap earlier, uh, but made a mistake just under the grandstand section, I think it was, and had to abandon it. So in a sense, you could say it was actually a little bit his fault at a minimum, but we'll get on to some of his race mistakes uh, later on. It was Charles Leclerc who got pole position. That has been where Ferrari has been strong this year, or at a minimum, he has been strong this year. Uh, ninth of the seasons, converted only two of those over the course of the year. Didn't convert this one either. And to skip forward a little bit, head to his reaction after the race. It felt to me after the race that he's really feeling that poor conversion rate. You know, the disappointment was obviously for not winning. That's natural enough. But this is the second time, second Singapore Grand Prix in a row where pole has not resulted in a victory. And I can't help but wonder how much more of that sort of psychological beating poor old Charles Leclerc can take. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Charles has just finished. He just wants the season to end yeah. and he just wants yeah. to go home now. Yeah. <laughs> go home to Monaco. Like yeah. yeah. I mean, look, even when he got pole, um, there seemed to be like a certain inevitability that he wasn't yeah. going to win because it just <laughs> happened so many times. Yes. Uh, and then yesterday, uh, I mean, look, it was a mentally, physically and mentally grueling mm. race. Uh, he finally had a, after the final safety, safety car restart, it finally looked like he had a chance mm-hmm. and he was going after it, but then he made that mistake and I think that just broke him. Yeah, I think so. I so. mean, the car also didn't just seem up to it either. The Ferrari car was fundamentally still not as quick yeah. as the Red Bull car, despite, as we said earlier, theoretically, this being a, a kind of Red Bull circuit. Now, rain was an unexpectedly large part of this weekend. It's strange to say because we're in the tropics, but the Singapore Grand Prix is not one that's been historically defined by wet weather. We've only had one somewhat wet race it was quite chaotic at the start of the race but then sort of panned out into a standard grand prix after that we saw a lot of rain over the course of this weekend particularly on on saturday and then before the race on sunday i've always thought that that rain before the race is actually weirdly it's not a good thing for a good race you know everyone gets excited about rain we saw a lot it was a lot of rain it was a lot of rain before on sunday i think people were excited by that by the potential for a chaotic start but Rain and then a drying track, particularly one that dried as slowly as this, and there are reasons for that, I think tends to produce sort of dull races. And unfortunately, I think that kind of ended up being what we got. Yeah, I think especially on a track like this where people don't really want to chuck it in the barriers. Yeah. Um, you know, on the drying track, it just driving around slowly, making the tyres last mm. and waiting for it to dry out so you can switch to slicks. That's really... That, yeah. and, and, and that honestly produces, um, you know, very soporific spectacle if you can Mm -hmm. even call it that yeah it's that emergence of the dry line and the slow emergence of a dry line here that means no one is really going to be ambitious enough to try something off yeah it's just waiting and watching basically isn't it it's just yeah we just drive around wait and watch wait Mm. until the moment is right so not actually racing they're just Mm. driving around you're really hoping drivers make mistakes and there were to be fair very few mistakes made at least in a defensive way uh, by very many drivers, which sort of just does make it a bit of a stalemate. Sort of speaks, I suppose, as well to just the general quality of drivers out there at the moment. You know, there are better and worse drivers in Formula One, but most of them are good enough not to just crack immediately under pressure. I mean, I'm sure Guan Yu Zhou would disagree with you. <laughs> well, I did say there were better and worse odds. <laughs> but, you know, don't please don't add us. I don't, don't need that. Uh, Sergio Perez, he was the winner. Uh, and... He said after the race, and I've been thinking, and I guess he's probably right to say, I mean, it's his career, he would know better than anyone else, but this was one of his best performances, or best wins, I should say, maybe not best overall performances. I guess that partly speaks to the difficulty of the track. He did have the car to do it. Did have to absorb a lot of pressure from Charles Leclerc as well. Was this maybe his best win of his career? Yeah, I'd say so, because... uh... 
I mean, he's had he's had four wins uh, mm-hmm. in his career. The first one was pretty special because he 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 fell back to the back of the pack and yeah. you know came through when it was racing point and it was you know his career looked to be finished at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was a that was a special win. But I think this was a more uh, well rounded performance from him in that sense. So it was a more mature win, mm. uh, given the conditions. Uh, given he had to keep the car on track, given he had to manage things like tyre wear and um, the multiple safety car and virtual safety car restarts. So there was a lot going on and there was, you know, you, you really needed to keep your head in the game to to win this and, and, and also cope with the physical and mental exhaustion that comes with this race. Mm, and that is a big part of it really because I think people think about a, a statement like this is one of his best performances. I think it was his exact words, best performances. Uh, and think that it's got to be like a really active kind of race. But this Grand Prix was a different kind of challenge. It was certainly mental, certainly to an extent physical, maybe slightly less physical than a, than a full dry race in Singapore. But it, the, 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 the damp conditions certainly make it mentally taxing. And then just as we said, absorbing pressure, the, the requirement not to make a mistake because recovering from a mistake is so much more difficult in conditions like this. And at a track like this is what made it such a good win because... He did have good cards dealt with him, to, dealt to him. On the other hand, to, to be in a position to win this race, one is that, well, Max Verstappen wasn't on pole. That certainly helped him because, in that situation, I think it probably would have been fair to say Max could have won this one. Uh, and then some things sort of worked in his favour. I think the first one is just that Leclerc didn't get a very good start, and Perez did. And at a street track, and in most Formula One races, it's got to be said, yeah. having the lead just counts for so much when overtaking is difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Perez himself said the race was one at the start, really. Mm-hmm. Um, he was right off into the lead and he controlled the pace brilliantly. Um, I'd also like to add, like, towards the end of a Singapore Grand Prix, when mm-hmm. you're typically winding down, when the order is set, he couldn't even afford that because he had to build yeah. up the gap to cover off um, a potential penalty. And as, as, as we... As we saw later, he was hit with a five-second penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he couldn't take it easy because he needed to build that gap to... To, at the time, he didn't know if he was going to get a penalty, but mm-hmm. to cover off that, you know, that 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 possibility, so he couldn't exactly take it easy uh, at the end either. So yeah, it was a beautifully managed race from mm-hmm. him, uh, a beautifully controlled race from him, and um, that's that's what made the difference, I think. Yeah, the second element to his win, as we've already mentioned, was that dry line that meant overtaking was always going to be difficult. We saw in that last stage of the race after the second safety car restart that Leclerc had that pace for a little bit as his Ferrari has tended as it has all season to warm up its tyres a little bit more quickly than the Red Bull has that often then translate to worse tyre wear which was also the case towards the end of the race but was able to absorb that pressure in part because it was difficult to overtake on a dry line but the third component was that it was very hard to play a strategy gamble at this race partly because of the conditions partly because of the nature of the track the undercut just wasn't a factor as it normally is at this track, which meant that Leclerc had no chance to even to even play a strategy to try to take the lead off him, which meant that he all he had to do was really focus on his driving. Yeah, exactly. The dry line that was emerging was emerging so slowly that it wasn't mm-hmm. quite... Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hadn't quite hit the crossover for dry tyres, but it was sort of going away from inters territory, so you had to manage tyres, you had to sort mm-hmm. of eke out as much life out of them as you could. Um, and of course, you didn't want to pit because, again, the gamble of, of of pitting on a track that's not yet ready for drives, but also you don't want to give up track position around a mm-hmm. um, around a track like this. Uh, Leclerc did attend the undercut, of course, uh, and as you say, it wasn't as effective. But 
also he had a slow pit stop mm-hmm. so that that only compounded um, compounded his problems uh, in that sense yeah slow pit stop for a change not because of the team but just because he overshot his box a little bit worth noting because some of the track has been resurfaced as the pit lane has been i think it was all really quite slippery out there all the new stuff it was especially the the the, the bit where they stop where the yeah. boxes are all that gray paint that they've mm-hmm. laid down i mean we 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 walked onto the grid michael as mm-hmm. as you know and, and you enjoyed I was it there. yeah yes, I, did. Yes. Yes. I remember <laughs> yeah so um yeah so you remember we were walking on that while while walking to the grid yes. on the on the gray 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 painted part where they mm-hmm. stopped and it was quite slippery there yeah. so surprisingly slippery so uh yeah so i mean that's just you know caused him to overshoot his marks i guess but yeah mm. which meant the one opportunity he may have had although unlikely would have been effective anyway was squandered there so those were sort of the three components of Sergio Perez uh of winning this race or I guess the cards that were dealt in favor of him winning this race it's also worth saying though here on top of it just being a good performance for him it feels like particularly this year in this regulatory era it is the kind of track where him and the car get a little bit closer together in terms of what is going to make them quick now i i obviously we didn't get a great opportunity to see the the best of max was happen i think there are a few laps in clear air where he looked really really quick but i mean think back to monaco even azerbaijan this year these cars don't love these kinds of tracks they're a little bit sort of lazy at slow speed they're not at their maximum downforce downforce performance but he seems really quite good at at maximizing the cars when they're not very good and and that seemed to play a role in him just being certainly much better than he has been in recent months yeah definitely i think he was just more comfortable with the car here um mm. and uh, remember this this win comes after like um a run of races where he hasn't been as competitive yeah. or you know he's been way off max's pace and a lot of that he says is down to the fact that the car's being you know the development of the car has taken it out mm. of the window that he likes it to be in um but but here i mean it it just shows you how much how much uh, difference a car and driver combination mm-hmm. coming together as one can make to a driver's own individual performance. Yeah, and I mean he's talked a lot about the car moving away from his driving style and driving preferences this year. I think this was one race where the setup actually worked for him and as a result he was able to get quite a lot out of it. I mean, as much as we can say okay, he wasn't able to be compared directly to Max Verstappen as we've talked about, that last stint was pretty good. It was a pretty strong stint and though that time he had to build up towards the end of it. Uh, growing it from essentially well one second to Charles Leclerc to seven and a half really showed there was pace to unlock. As you mentioned, he had to grow that advantage because there was this threat of a looming penalty uh, for a safety car infringement, uh, a relatively uh, unusual penalty compared to what we're used to. Turned out that he did get penalised. It was important to have that buffer. He lost five seconds after the race, but this penalty was. I mean, it was surprising that it wasn't. It was raised during the race. It ended up being there were three examples of it rather than the one that was raised during the race. Is it fair enough the penalty he got? Like uh, how do we sort of dissect this considering that it was fairly cut and dry that he 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 did it three times? Yeah, I mean, well the steward's explanation was uh that the, he he got a reprimand for the first one mm-hmm. uh under the first safety car and then the second the second safety car which is towards the end of the race um uh, the the steward said that they that that he had fallen 10 car lengths behind once again and he had been warned. Mm-hmm. So and then the third time he did it under that same safety car he got a penalty so i think they just sort of built up to a penalty mm. uh was it fair was not i mean you know i'm 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 torn about this because you know 
ideally the rules should be like a black and white open mm-hmm. and shut sort of a case um so if you've you know but then you know there might have been mitigating factors um in his favor as well as stewards noted but but then equally the the decision came out so late after the race i mean and this is what you know we've consistently mm-hmm. complained about as well that decisions need to be made faster yeah because it wasn't it wasn't you know a result for 11th or 12th place that was being affected it was basically the race result that mm-hmm. that could have been overturned so i think on balance i think the right decision was made yeah i the logic of the escalation was interesting to me because to me a warning should come before a reprimand because a warning isn't anything a warning doesn't really mean anything and it's also just interesting to think that he did it several times behind the second safety car having been reprimanded. Although he didn't know he was reprimanded, I guess, to be fair to him because the reprimand only came after the race. So I guess in that sense, you can argue that, okay, he deserved only one penalty for it. But you do have to wonder if you are Charles Leclerc, who in a sense is materially impacted by Perez not uh, keeping behind by 10 lengths the safety car because that affects his pace because he has to stay obviously behind Sergio Perez that maybe you could look at that and think, well, there probably should have been two penalties there. Because it is, a, it, it is a clear rule, and it's not as if the rule was only implemented in this race. So uh, I, I think there are many ways to cut that one. I can understand as well that you know, the pen, maybe the stewards don't want to change the outcome of a race so late after a Grand Prix for something that is so relatively obscure, not a racing incident, as uh, not staying behind the, the safety car by 10 lengths. And also, there wasn't much more than a race win at stake. I mean, I know that sounds mm. silly because a race win is what they're yeah, all yes. fighting for at the end of the day. But what I mean is, in, it's not like giving Leclerc the win or had, had yeah. Perez uh, been penalized twice. Mm. So, so basically, two, a 10-second time penalty mm. that would have dropped him behind Leclerc and made Leclerc the winner. It's not like winning that race was going to really make a difference in mm. the overall championship picture for Leclerc. Yes. Um, it would just have left a very sort of unsatisfying yeah yeah uh, it would just been a very unsatisfying end to a very unsatisfying yeah. race <laughs> instead of what we got obviously so um yeah. so i think yeah but and also the escalation you you talk about you know it went from uh, reprimand to warning mm. to penalty effectively maybe maybe it didn't maybe it did go from warning to reprimand to penalty but they just filled out the documents incorrectly yeah. also completely possible isn't it it is also completely possible considering there was only technically one offence he was being investigated for, and then it turned out actually there were two, and technically three, uh, but only two uh, specific penalties. I want to talk a little bit about this race more broadly overall, because normally, as much as, as we've talked about, I think a, a wet race that goes to dry can be quite underwhelming for the dry line reasons. There is at least that one moment of intrigue, which is when you switch from intermediates to slick tyres. Like that's where big gains can be made or, or potentially lost. We didn't really get that in this race. And that's because of George Russell. Blame George Russell for the bad race, or Mercedes strategist more importantly. Because he was used very early on fundamentally as a guinea pig for slick tyres. Yeah, exactly. We didn't get that that jeopardy because mm-hmm. Russell pitted and he was no good on mediums yeah. for, for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so typically, uh, even normal races, and all the more so when you have uh, safety car interrupted races, mm-hmm. you tend to see... A flurry of pit stops. Because people see that as an opportunity to to gamble without losing mm. too much time. Um, but but that didn't happen this race. Um, I mean, of course, with the early the the early safety cars, it was uh, maybe too early in the race to pit for tires. Mm. Uh, if it was a dry race, people would probably have chanced it. Um, but but you know, it was too wet, obviously. To, and 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 the only 
I think in this race, teams are only ever going to pit to to go from uh, wets to dries, mm-hmm. uh, inters to dries, and uh, at that stage, it didn't make any sense coming in for a new set of inters because the track was obviously too wet. It was still mm-hmm. too early. Uh, there was nothing to be gained by making a pit stop, and then as the dry line emerged. Um, George Russell pitted and spoiled the fun for everybody. Yes, pretty much, because then it became very clear, coincidentally, when Lewis Hamilton had his first or his only crash, uh, it be, coincidentally was exactly when George Russell set the fastest lap of the race, a very convenient way for drivers to start pitting. Pierre Gasly was the first in, arguably a little bit too early, because it did still take quite a while to warm up those tyres. But before long, pretty much everyone was doing it, and it panned out for virtually everybody except for Yuki Tsunoda, who it didn't pan out for. He caused another, he crashed, caused another safety car on cold tyres, which was pretty much exactly what McLaren was gambling on because they didn't stop when everyone else stopped. They stayed out on inters given they were still working all right and given, as we've said, there was no undercut because of that warm-up problem, gained massively. And in a race in which Alpine did not finish with either car, huge result in the constructor standings for them. Oh, absolutely. It moved them. It was their best result of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a great result for Ricardo as well, finishing fifth. Yes. And it, it moved them clear of Alpine um, to fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, massive result. Uh, they gambled. I mean, they, they stayed out when everybody else pitted. And mm-hmm. uh, and they basically uh, made an opportunistic pit stop when, um, when, when the track wasn't green, which saved them a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Norris didn't gain a place because of that. But you know, it was worth uh, it was worth gambling on. Yeah, I think a, a, quite a clever gamble. I'm surprised no one else tried it, considering it seemed it was so slippery on those cold tyres. Yeah, it seemed likely yeah. someone was yeah. going to. I mean, you never know, obviously. And by then, we'd already seen a number of examples of mm-hmm. people going off, virtual safety cars coming out, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. A really well-calculated gamble, I think, by McLaren. So, they won really big for that one. Uh, in the end, I want to end on a, as a final note back on Max Verstappen, who, as we sort of talked about at the start, had his scrappiest race of the year. Equal worst finish, but his other seventh place was at Silverstone where his car was damaged. The only other technical lower classification was Bahrain, but he didn't finish that Grand Prix. It was strangely scrappy. We've talked about potential reasons why. He says it was all down to qualifying. He had a poor start, made some kind of rash overtaking attempts, which ruined his race. What do we think back on this race? Will this just be that blip where maybe that one bad race he has a year that, that, that gets forgotten in the, the haze of him winning the title inevitably? Is it a mental game for him still, even though the championship seems so close? Yeah, I think after qualifying, he was just not in a good good place mentally. And and you could see that in his driving on Sunday. You mentioned the rash moves. You mentioned, um, we saw an example of, of, of that at the, at the safety car restart when he uh, attempted to pass Norris and, mm-hmm. and ended up, you know running wide and then having to pit for uh, running down the runoff and having to pit for a fresh set of tires i mean this 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 was again i think a max verstappen that we haven't seen a lot of this season mm. but we saw a lot of last season but we thought the championship win had matured that out of him but clearly when he feels he's on the rope so if if he feels he's been um screwed over mm-hmm. uh that I, I guess his mind just locks into that sort of aggression and uh and then and then yeah so, so it just ends up making rash uh, moves but i hope that this is the you know he, he compartmentalizes it and doesn't carry that over to suzuka because mm-hmm. uh you know and, and hopefully again it's it's for him to do because like we saw with qualifying and then and then the race he sort of uh, tried to compensate for qualifying uh by 
uh, driving the way he did in the race. So hopefully he doesn't try to compensate for this frustrating mm-hmm. weekend by um, letting the frustration get to him in Suzuka again. That will be the test, I guess. A big bounce back. Yeah. I think we all probably expect it, but I mean, he still has to put it together at the end of the day. Yeah, hopefully he, he discovers the serenity he's had this season. <laughs> at Honda's home race as well. I think secretly he wouldn't mind winning it there. Neither would Red Bull, uh, all things considered. Not the, sing- not the great Singapore Grand Prix return we would have liked, but certainly an interesting one. At least it gives us uh, an interesting championship permutation in Japan. Might actually put a little bit of Tension's an exaggeration, I think, but a little bit of intrigue into how the title might be won next week. Abhishek, was great to chat about it with you. Yeah, uh, likewise. I mean, it wasn't a great race. It was under lights. Not speedy, though. <laughs> but, you know, um, well, that's Singapore for you. There were glimpses of Verstappen at his rapid best, despite the overall disappointment of the Singapore Grand Prix, a race that's sure to be reflected upon as an anomaly in an otherwise glittering season for the Dutchman. But he has a golden chance to put it behind him at Suzuka this weekend, a track that will suit his car better and surely see him seal his second championship. Thanks very much to Abhishek Takle for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a Beer Mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Lope from Lope Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Ostrom. My name's Michael Amanato and I'll be back next week for the return of the Japanese Grand Prix.